It's awesome out there. Oh wait, no, it's horrible out there. Which is it? Welcome to Wheat Pete's Word here on realagriculture.com for Wednesday, June the 24th on this episode of The Word. It's awesome out there. Oh, wait. No, it's horrible out there. Which is it? Then lots of crop notes. Rapid growth syndrome in corn. Oh, no, gosh. An oat rust alert. Nitrogen questions, both on corn. How to make protein in Western Canada. Is this the year we should do it? And tons of specifics, as many as I can get to by the end of the time on this episode. Let's go. First off, yes, it is dry. In most of Eastern Canada, it's extremely incredibly dry. My good friend Sunny, Nova Scotia, it's dry there. We go east of Toronto in Ontario. Man, it is dry. In Quebec, it is dry. In most of southwestern Ontario, it continues to be dry, but not everywhere because Jared in Chatham-Kent saying there are cornfields in his area that have had 10 inches of rainfall since they were planted. So, as normal, There is no equity. We can't all just get the one inch beautiful rain that we want. We have most growers crying for rainfall and a few growers saying, make it stop. And meanwhile, we go to Donald at Udney. So that's up Simcoe County, Barrie area, north of Barrie, Aurelia. And Donald reporting, the crops have never looked better. We are just getting gentle showers. We planted on time. We've had no heavy rains. Life in Udney this year is absolutely stellar. So the full range across eastern Canada and in western Canada, really interesting because they are having a Pretty doggone nice year so far, touch wood, for most of the area. A few areas in Western Canada, not perfect either, but looking like we could be building some really stellar spring wheat yields out there. We'll talk more about that later, but but really cool from that standpoint. Meanwhile, despite things going well, yeah, there's always a few little, whew, that was a close one, Martin from Drumheller. So that's in Alberta, you know, Drumheller, the home of the Dinosaur Museum, Martin's sending me a picture of of a beautiful looking crop he was out spraying but june the 19th the nighttime low plus two celsius and you're just thinking oh man so many of the crops are getting so close to critical from a, a frost perspective that was one close call fortunately did not get below zero and then we look in south lambton South Lambton, four inches of rain in basically an hour. And once again, the soybeans on soybeans. So from Jared, and Jared's got, you know, 10 inches of rain in Chatham-Kent. He's up into South Lambton. The growers that are growing soybeans on soybeans are replanting soybeans for the third time. Count them three times. You know that I'm going to take every chance I get to promote rotation because rotation works. The soybeans on wheat stubble, way better. The soybeans on corn stubble, yeah, they're a little bit better. But the soybeans on soybeans replant three times on that heavy clay soil and just pray that we don't get another heavy rain again. On the other hand, Ryan, also Lambton County. Ryan's a great crop consultant. Out sends tweets out a picture. He's walking through a wheat field. How can it get better than walking through a wheat field? It's wheat 
on an old pasture field. Now, it hasn't been pasture for six or seven or, or some time, but it's still got such incredible structure that even though it's a fairly heavy clay area, the wheat is lodging on that old pasture field. And this soil health thing, I so wish we could figure out how we could get so that every field was like that old pasture field. We'd need less nitrogen. We'd get better growth. Ah, life is good if you have old pasture. That is for sure. Meanwhile, in Johnson's life, Father's Day was incredible. Not only did I have a great day with, with several of my grandchildren, they put together just an awesome package, but my cornfield got a 20 millimeter thunderstorm, eight tenths of an inch of rain. And it was just really getting to the point where we were starting to see the sins of planting. As much as I waited and I tried not to plant too wet, ah, we were still starting to see that compaction. And talk about compaction. The compaction out there that, that you can see in the field is just Incredible. I tweeted a picture out of headland compaction on Saturday. What a Twitter discussion we got going about that. And we don't have all the solutions by any stretch, but Chris Olback, pioneer agronomist, uh, flies a lot of fields with drones, and he says, yeah, the headland compaction is horrendous in, in a lot of fields, and now we're starting to see that show up in the field as well. So the sins of 2019, when it was too wet and we were out there and we were harvesting too wet, they are haunting us this year as well. Owen from Brantford saying he was revenge spraying in his cornfield, cleaning it up, and yep, wherever there were wet spots, damp spots last year already, the corn crop in 2020 is going ragged, it's showing not even growth, and man, you can just see that. Also, it was dry last year through the summertime, so guess what? We are seeing a fair bit of group 27, so that's the bleachers. We're seeing a fair bit of group 27 injury in our edible bean crop, even in some of our soybean crop. Typically, we wouldn't see that. It's a 10-month uh, restriction to planting soybeans. Man, it's that we need moisture for breakdown on these herbicides. We just didn't get as much as we thought in many areas, particularly Peterborough, a hot spot, up around Wingham, another hot spot, both extremely extremely dry through the summer and fall of 2019 and we are seeing carryover issues. Most of those crops will recover if we get decent weather the yield impact will be small but man that is just bizarre to see that still hanging around in 2020. All right just before I move on <laughs> this is a great story so Bill from Ancaster says hey Peter so this knee-high corn thing by the 1st of July, ah, you got it all wrong. It's actually a, an American thing, and it's knee-high by the 4th of July because that's Independence Day, but it's not walk out into your field and knee-high as you stand in your field. No, no, this goes way back to the time of horses and intero cultivation, and you rode your horse into the field, and if the corn was up to your knee as you sat on your horse, that was the last time you could go through with the horse and intero cultivate because the roads back then were 40 inches wide. And so knee high by the 4th of July is actually sitting on the horse. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, if that's what it takes to have good corn, 
I don't think I've ever had good corn. <laughs> I didn't know that, Bill, but that is that is really interesting. By the way, we have growers who already have corn that is waist high. By the 1st of July, we could well have corn that would be knee high by the 1st of July when you sat on your horse this year, Bill. So this year, I still think there is going to be some good corn out there. No question about it. Okay, move on. Abram saying, what is going on in the corn crop? My gosh, there's yellow leaves everywhere. I think Greg Stops, pioneer agronomist, did one of the best jobs talking about this. It's rapid growth syndrome in the corn crop. And yes, some varieties are worse than other varieties. It'll affect all varieties, but some do show it a little bit worse. It typically happens when we get into these wild swings in temperature. And so we had cold spells and then we had warm spells and when you hit that warm spell the plant starts growing like crazy and it can't unwrap itself so you get almost a buggy whip at the top of the plant because it just it can't unroll fast enough and then as it does unroll you get yellow leaves because they haven't made chlorophyll it almost always has zero yield impact, although there is a couple of varieties out, this, out there this year where you would just say, wow, how can that have no yield impact? But almost for sure, it will be fine. You give it a few days, though they unfurl, the green comes back, they're yellow at the start, but then they make chlorophyll, they turn green, and you come back in a week or 10 days and you wouldn't even know it existed. But in general terms, if the corn is growing really fast and going to make knee-high sitting on my horse by the 4th of July, <laughs> things aren't all bad. I'll take that any day over growing too slowly because it either is too dry or too cold or too hot or too wet or whatever. Let the doggone corn crop grow. I um, Once in a while, it'll tear a leaf, but for the most part, zero long-term impact. Next. Uh, alert. Alert. Alert! Already we have heavy, heavy rust pressure in the oat crop from Wayne at Peterborough spraying an oat field and you could already see the rust, the crown rust in the crop where it was starting to turn the crop off color. You cannot grow oats in southwestern Ontario if you don't control rust. If you haven't sprayed the oat crop yet, get out there, look, almost for sure it needs sprayed. Um, not, not in other areas. You get to New Lisker, they don't seem to get crown rust up there but if you're in southwestern or eastern Ontario and you haven't sprayed the oat crop you better scout and if you've got any rust at all it's time to spray there's just no question that the benefits if you don't control oat rust you get a 20-20 crop it's 20 bushels per acre and it's 20 pounds per bushel and yeah that's a 20% chance of you ever uh, surviving in agriculture doing that make sure you control crown rust in oat it is a huge problem disease next we're going to move on to the corn crop. And so Wim tweeting me a picture saying, wow, you know, we're putting on our last nitrogen application. We're doing a dry fertilizer over the top. We've done it for a while. Put on some ammonium nitrate and did it on Friday afternoon. It was dry. It was warm. And already by Monday, I have all this burn starting to show up on the emerging leaves of the corn crop. Now, the ammonium nitrate, Wim did say it was dusty. It had a lot of fines in it. If we're going to be using dry product to 
apply our last nitrogen application, then absolutely you have to use a product that doesn't have many fines in it. The dust, it doesn't spread, it goes down the whirl and we get ammonia toxicity and we burn the edges of those leaves. So you want a nice clean product. Generally speaking, there's lots of discussion about sources, urea versus ammonium nitrate perhaps, but amidus is the one that everybody kind of looks towards. And amidus, generally speaking, it's a better prill. It's more uniform. It's that onion leaf technology. When they make it, they're making it a little bit more precise. And so it does a nicer job of having less fines and less fines and a more uniform prill. It means a better spread pattern. Generally speaking, that means less burn. Not You can apply urea. If you get good urea, you won't see burn either, but it's just tougher to find that good urea product because they're not getting the premium price that they would need to make that perfect urea product. Meanwhile, Paul, my good friend Paul up in the Ottawa Valley saying, well, wait a minute, does that leaf burn relate to a yield reduction? And it's all about leaf area index. As long as you get more leaves that come out of the corn plant and you build a good amount of leaf tissue so that you have green plant material intercepting all the sun before it hits the ground with the leaves above the cob, believe it or not, you can see significant leaf damage in terms of burn on the lower leaves and it doesn't have any yield impact to speak of. I hate burning any crop, corn, wheat, any crop. I hate burning it, but the chances of reducing yield significantly from that burn, generally speaking, is pretty doggone small, which I guess is a good thing. Paul at Mount Forest saying, hey, Peter, so I had clover hay, and I, I, it was wheat last year, red clover. I left it over wintertime. I took a crop of clover hay off of it this, this summer, spring already. I planted that back into corn. I put manure on it. My big question is, can I count on any nitrogen out of the red clover because I took it as hay and because I harvested it so late? So, Paul, first off, you take the top part of the, the uh, crop off, so the, the above ground part, that's a third of the nitrogen. Normally, in that situation, we would give the red clover 75 pound credit. You took 25 pounds away. 50 pound credit in the below ground part, will it become available to this year's corn crop? I think the answer is yes, but it will be August when it becomes available. That's okay because the corn crop takes up 37% of its nitrogen after tassel, so that's okay, it's late planted corn, but make sure that you have enough early nitrogen that you don't limit your yield from, uh, from that standpoint. You need enough early nitrogen as well. The manure might help, although if it's you know straw beef manure, it, it doesn't bring as much. Make sure you have some commercial fertilizer, 60, 75 pounds, something like that, to get it to that red clover becoming available. Okay, I gotta fly. Bruce, winter wheat last year, Killed it in May, planted soybeans, planted winter wheat again October the 10th, and now you're seeing what you think is take all, a bunch of bleach heads uh, out there in the wheat crop. I, I, I'm not sure it's dying prematurely. Remember, with take all, it's clumps, right? It's, it's big areas in the field. If you're seeing individual plants, Bruce, it's not take all, and I doubt planted October the 10th, you have significant take all. You get take all in early planted wheat, so I, I'm thinking that you're okay from that standpoint. The Combine will tell, but I actually think you're okay. Gary saying, hey, Peter, armyworm, aphids, take all in the wheat crop. How much can the wheat crop take? Come on, Gary. It's wheat. Have faith. Both Thomas from Michigan, Andrea from Ontario saying, Peter, 
Can I grow wheat after the oat crop? You may have talked about this before. Can I grow wheat after oats? Oh my gosh, wheat after oats. It's an awesome rotation. The only disease that crosses over is actually fusarium and typically not that much fusarium in the oat crop, in the oat straw in particular that would, would be the problem. Harry up in Bruce County, he planted wheat after oats uh, last year. That is by far the best looking wheat crop anywhere because he got the wheat planted early after the oat crop. It's the only field so far we're aware of in Bruce County had to be sprayed with armyworm That's or for armyworm. It's, it's that much better than all the rest of the wheat up there. I hope it, I hope Harriet carries through to, to yield. The one thing, Leo, he planted wheat after oats. It's great oat wheat, but he has volunteer oats. Once in a while, you can get volunteer oats in that wheat crop. So just be aware that would be the one downside. Wow, time goes fast for me when I'm talking. I'm going to skip down and talk about dissolved urea on wheat. So Scott from out in, in Western Canada saying, hey Peter, what about dissolved urea? You know, a lot of Western Canada is looking like we've got a really good wheat crop. When you get a really good wheat crop, high yields, that means low protein. The two just, that's how it works. What about dissolved urea and trying to put that on the wheat crop to make protein? Well, I think, Scott, you're bang on. I think this is an awesome thought process of how you can do a better job. Because you're right. If we get high yields and we get low protein, suddenly protein premiums become big dollars. But you got to have the high protein wheat. How do you get there? You can still manage for it. You put dissolved urea onto the wheat crop after anthesis. What's really interesting is in our data, when we put nitrogen on after anthesis, 10 days after pollination, after the wheat heads out, if we were short yield, we can still make more yield. So Paul, if you missed the flag leaf application, your short nitrogen, put it on 10 days after heading, you'll still make more yield in the wheat crop. But from a protein standpoint, We'll link how to make dissolved urea here, or you can buy it. It tends to be a more expensive source. However, uh, it burns less than 28%. So I want you to stream it on. Notice that, that we're changing the document if you've read this document before, we used to say that the way we made it was 21% protein. A grower from Montana caught me on that. No, nope, my math was wrong. It's actually 16% protein. It's 1.5 pounds per gallon of nitrogen. That means you put on 20 gallons, you get 30 pounds of nitrogen. That should increase your protein about three quarters of a percent. So I think that's a really, really cool thought process. And yes, I'm over time, but I think that that is a recommendation that's worth talking about. All right. Yeah. Way over time. That's it. That's all. On behalf of the team here at realagriculture.com, this is Wheat Pete with the word for Wednesday, June the 24th. Keep the questions and everything coming because I love having too much to talk about and talking too long, which is what I'll do next Wednesday. <laughs>